I mean, it's it's more important just like looking at the experience of it. You know that 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 kind of, and, and that's why I I really like to use this sort of the the, the kind of method of of recognizing the world is within your mind or the body is within your mind, and I and then just holding that in terms of 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 this is cessation or this is stopping, so that it's like because the the whole way that that the body or the world is kind of experienced, it's like there's a there's a difference there, there's a categorical difference in the way it's it's felt or or known. At least I find that, and so then just to kind of tag onto that, oh, this is what Ajahnamaro is calling cessation. So what is it that ceased? And that it's and like I, I you know I like to stress that you know it's thingness has ceased. Its otherness has ceased. The the duality has ceased. So that it's like and to me that seems like the most um, potent way of of working with that that and and accurate in 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 many respects. Useful. Yeah. <laughs> and then it struck me that it, exactly in seeing the non-stop Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to turn this whole thing into a kind of etymological juggling act. But I think it, it does help to, to to get a sense for how the different words are, are being used and handled, and and uh, how we can once, as Rinpoche has been saying, you know, once we get a good conceptual map of how the whole thing functions, it's like you know when all else fails, read the directions. It's like, why doesn't this thing do I want what I want it to do? It's like look, I keep kind of hitting the keys, and this just it won't obey me. Obey me! Come on. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, actually, maybe read the handbook, you know. <laughs> Open it up and says, okay, well, what you need to do is you press this and then this, and oh, you hit those two keys together, then it does alt-control, and then it goes, okay. So then, just getting a sense of how the, the, the system works can, can save an awful lot of grief down the line, because we can be diligently kind of Chipping away at this sort of this solid wall with a you know with a, uh, a rusty teaspoon, kind of working our way through and not noticing there's actually a door six feet away. That's open. <laughs> scraping, scraping, scraping.
Um, well, vipassana literally means seeing into. V means means into or directed. Pasati is to see. Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's both the, a name for the meditation technique, and it's also the quality of seeing as well. But it's like the result of that seeing is then liberation. So I think the act of of um, the different elements of Rigpa, like looking, seeing, um, uh, resting, and liberating. Is that right? Yeah. Um, that those, you know, you could, you could use the word vipassana as a sort of generic term for the meditation, if you're using it in, in a particular way, to cover all of that. But the, the word itself just means the looking into. Yeah, there's one behind you, yeah. Well, um, as usual, typical Buddhist answer, yes and no. (laughs) So there's actually a few places in the scriptures where they say, people from other different religious groups, they say, it's impossible to get a straight answer out of these shaveling disciples of the Samana Gotama. (laughs) 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 So, um, you know, it's, it's rather like developing any kind of skill. You know, if if you want to go out for a run with your with your friends every so often and feel comfortable doing that, then it's good to you know to have worked up some muscles and developed a bit of, of um, lung capacity and um, to uh, be able to um, to work out. Otherwise, you know, going for a run is going to be a really miserable and, and testing exercise. So similarly, um, you know the. The great masters in, uh, of um, meditation in Thailand that I, I've known or have, have had teachings from or see, you know, read teachings of, you know, almost invariably they, they say that the, the prime level for concentration is to establish um, uh, a degree of concentration where you can witness the arising and passing of phenomena. That's the ideal point. So like what they call kind of axis concentration, neighborhood concentration, so that you're still aware that there's still thoughts and feelings and science, sounds and body sensations and so on. And that, that that's the ideal place for developing insight. And it's, it, that's the, the key to liberation is the development of insight. That's where wisdom is the most fertile ground for the cultivation of wisdom, is at that, that area. More absorption, and it's harder to... to employ the reflective faculties. Less, and it's, it's hard for, to, to kind of keep a track of all the stuff that's moving. So, but in order to be able to sustain your attention at that level of concentration, it really, it really helps. Like if you're going out for a run with your friends, it's really good to have you know, extended yourself uh, you know, quite regularly beforehand. Or if you're you know, 
any kind of analogy you can use, like playing the piano. You know, you're just doing a lot of five-finger exercises, playing a piece over and over and over and over and over, so that when it comes to do the concert, it's like your fingers know exactly where to go. You don't have to think. The fingers know what to do. It's not like having to remember note by note. So, in exactly the same way, if you develop a facility with, with absorption, con you know, profound states of concentration, then when you need, when you need them, then they're there. But if you, just, you know, if you develop the ability to kind of go up to sort of, you know, eight or nine, if what you need is five most of the time, then five is a piece of cake. If five is a stretch for you, if that's all you've ever bothered to do, then it's kind of you're at the, you're at the, the extent of your, your capacity um, to, to be operating at, a, at the most sort of effective level. So that's why it's kind of developing muscles, developing skills, so that you are... In, in most circumstances, you have the, the, the repertoire, the kind of the skills to hand to be able to establish that kind of concentration very easily. Some people find, you know, it varies from person to person. I mean, some people find the kind of absorption practice quite easy to, to develop. Other people, it just doesn't work that way. My own uh, teacher, Ajahn Chah, um, even though he, he did a lot of absorption practice himself, he... Um, he found that for um, he actually he had a very reflective mind. His mind liked to pick things up and chew them over and can contemplate a lot. And so uh, he found that a much more fertile ground for insight than than just developing absorption. So he found that um, he used to. The, he used to teach what's called... Uh, well, there's, there's two different tracks. There's the wet enlightenment and dry enlightenment. So wet enlightenment is the, mo is the Moggallana path with all the psychic powers. Sariputta is the, is the dry enlightenment with no, no psychic powers. So Moggallana did um, uh, much more of that. Sariputta was, was kind of didn't develop any. So he said, my way is the way of Sariputta. There's a dry enlightenment method. So um, you're developing you know, concentration, but he principally aimed at the cultivation of the reflective wisdom faculty. And so I think that's probably why many Westerners were attracted towards studying with him, was because the way that he taught and the environment that he cultivated in his monasteries and his teachings didn't depend upon a, a lot of solitary jhana practice. That he actually, um, it was, he very actively taught the use of, of everyday circumstance, communal living, uh, adherence to the discipline, um, etc., etc., as ground for the cultivation of insight, so that it, it's a, a different track. But you know, you have as an individual, you have to find out what you have capacities for and where your weaknesses are, and and um, like make use of of uh, you know, the different skills that are available. Yeah, I mean it's because unless you can, unless you have extraordinary parameter, like you're already kind of ninety nine percent cooked when you came in, you know, the, and uh, and all you need to do is have a kind of bahia effect, where, the, where you know you run into a Buddha and you say, you know, "Tell me the truth," and they say, "Do this," and you go, "Okay," that's it, ding off the wheel. You know. <laughs> 
you know, because you've got to have some pretty serious um, good karmas for that to, to pull that one off. Most of us are not in that kind of position. So that, you know, just having the idea of, oh, all is, you know, my nature is intrinsically pure and perfect from the beginning. Just having that idea, if we don't have immense faith, say, in the person who tells that to us, or a lot of paramita, a lot of spiritual qualities already developed, then that, that might seem very true to us intellectually. And we might even have an experience of that, like, like some kind of mystical experience. Like, oh, right, that's it. But it's like, a, a, it's like lighting a match. You, know, you light a match and then the, the darkness of the room is dispelled. You can see. But because there's not much fuel, then you, you're left with the memory of what you saw, but you're still in the dark. So that the cultivation of paramita, of spiritual qualities, is like uh, you know, developing a, a fuel source. You know, I mean, sometimes it can happen. Like uh, I remember years ago, being uh, about twenty years ago, the the hot property in the monastery in Thailand was the the book "I Am That," it was a, an old sort of two volume set, um, sort of hard to come by. And I remember reading this and thinking, and just sort of being struck by, like this is like this is like God talking. And uh, and so the the author Nisargadatta Maharaj, it was a kind of questions and answers with him, and he ha- hardly said anything at all about his spiritual practice. And finally, the, you know, his questioner nails him down, and he said, "Well, after I left the household life, you know, I wandered for some time until I met my guru." My guru then, my guru said to me, you are the ultimate reality. So, I simply acted accordingly. <laughs> and I remember like, <laughs> blink. <laughs> so then I thought, well, maybe he was some kind of avatar, and he just needed to be switched on, you know, and, and that... Uh, and then there's this sort of horror, this sort of uncomfortable twinge of of, um, of doubt in the back of my mind. Like maybe, maybe that means not just him. Maybe that's all of us. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of took me a couple of years to realize the, uh, the latter was was the uh, was actually what he was talking about. But um, sometimes that someone has that kind of spiritual potential. But it's literally kind of one in ten million, one in a hundred million, that has that kind of a faith, and b the capacity to sustain the insight from the beginning. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm endeavouring to do. Well, say for example, the um, the the um, some of the things I was talking about yesterday. 
in terms of um, seeing the body within the mind or the world within the mind. Just like as you're, you know, pretend the retreat's over and you're going about your daily business. So that as you are, you know, scooting down the pavement, sidewalk, excuse me, as you're going down the sidewalk, um, then at that moment when you're, you've, you've, le- you know, you've, you've left your car and you're heading towards the shops, now at that moment there's absolutely nothing whatsoever stopping you from recognizing the fact that the sidewalk and your body are a set of perceptions coming and going and changing in your mind. As you reach for the door handle, as you go into the shop, as you talk to other people, um, you can continually reflect in that kind of a way. As you're, and again, with a walking meditation, just to, um, to, you can recognize, well, hey, there's this feeling of me going someplace, but actually there's nobody going anywhere. I am always here. Wherever I am, it's here, isn't it? Wherever you are. Have you ever been anywhere but here? Wherever you are, all your life, wherever you were, it was here, wasn't it? So just to, and again, this is not just a kind of clever mind game, but just recognizing, oh, how much we get caught into this process of becoming, getting onto the next thing, going places, and actually just to, to step back from that and say, oh, look, there's this feeling of me going someplace, but actually there's just conditions of mind changing, coming and going changing. When you're eating, it's a great opportunity to witness the becoming process. You know, I mean, I realize becoming is a kind of Buddhist jargon word, but it's that, that feeling of getting on to the next thing. So it's a really good way of uncovering it, so that when you're eating, just train yourself to eat one mouthful at a time. Which doesn't mean like eating in slow motion, but just while you're eating, just to not be planning the next mouthful. It's really simple things like that. You're actually with the process of eating as it's happening, and then witnessing the kind of the movement, the kind of lurching of the heart towards the next thing. Oh, that looks good. What about more of this? Or should I? Oh, I've had too much of that already. And how the heart is kind of constantly creating commentaries, looking for the next thing, um, and how. That very, that very habit is the cause of all the trouble. And that we don't have to continue that habit. So that you're bringing this sort of reflective mind and noticing the becoming reflex and learning to let go of becoming. Like bhava niroda, the cessation of becoming. You stop becoming something else and just keep bringing yourself to the present. Like... Uh, in the Buddhist society in London, they used to have this cartoon on the notice board, which is these two, two monks in a Zen monastery sitting on the, on the meditation platform side by side. And it, you know, it's very much a kind of Zen place and sitting like this. And one's got his head turned slightly towards the other. And then the, the caption underneath said, Nothing happens next. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> so that... Does how often in your day and in your life with your, your work or your family or just the, the flow of events, you know, it's the, the mind is going to what next? The next thing. Quid nunc. What next? What next? What next? And that just to see that happening and to, to let go. 
So it doesn't mean to say you then stop in your tracks. I mean, Rinpoche has been using the example of, you know, you're running and running and running, and then you stop, and then that's a good moment of Rigpa. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a kind of in-motion Rigpa type. You know, that you can actually, even as the, the, the body's moving and stuff's happening, and as this conversation's going on, just to let, say, let myself notice that there's the flow of words and sounds and movements, but that in which, that which is knowing them isn't moving isn't making noises. And that's available to us 24 hours, seven days a week. It's there. So that it's like a matter of recollecting and, and reminding ourselves to tune into that. And one of the things that, the, that the Rinpoche touched on this morning that he said he was going to get into, which he said Dzogchen has a speciality for, which is emotional states. Um, you know, a lot of what tends to fill up our days, right, is relationships, emotions. Because of all of the domains of, uh, of the human realm, the most colorful and um, glorious and painful and chaotic and wonderful is generally the world of emotion, and at least understood. Um, so the, you know, this kind of practice, of, of insight practice or Dzogchen practice, you know, that it's like we can make that that part of our, that domain also part of what we work on. And so that one of the difficult things about emotion is that of all the areas of our life that, that um, our name seems to be writ deep and large, you know, emotions is the strongest. It's like thinking uh, is kind of generated by, and I'm not absolutely hot on the... Um, brain chemistry of this, but the thinking is generally generated in the neocortex and the external areas of the brain. Emotions are driven from the sort of reptile department, <laughs> you know, which is a sort of pre, uh, pre-verbal, uh, pri- kind of primal area. The brain has several different levels, the kind of life support system, then the reptile, then the mammalian, and then the, the human. So that the thinking and discursive activity kind of happens on the, the, the neocortex, the human level. Emotions are, are pretty much generated from the reptile department and the and this kind of survival mechanisms. So there operate so that the, the verbal element is often added on to that. And because they they're from such a reactive and deep place within us, then the tendency to identify with them is immensely strong. But whether the emotion is one of love or excitement or fear or jealousy or uh, irritation or whatever, uh, that regardless of its content, we can use the practice with it in exactly the same way. And um, personally, I, I like to, um, f- I find the easiest way of doing this is rather than waiting until it kind of these things sort of kick in once you're in the in the on the battlefield, as it were, you know, you kind of do a little bit of um, have a few dry runs beforehand, you know, like uh, do maneuvers. <laughs> I thought that this is a kind of um, this is a maneuver. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A kind of territory for maneuvers. Um, out, you know, beyond the gate is the battleground. <laughs> So, uh, we only shoot blanks here. <laughs> so, we keep the precepts so that make sure that all the guns have, have blanks in.
Listen, this is a Theravada joint, right? <laughs> what happens in the other yanas, uh, I, I can't be responsible for. <laughs> Theravada, we only use blanks in our, our centers. So, uh, so while you're meditating, either, you know, you can, you can just either wait until some emotional state just comes up on its own, or even better, I find, is to actually invite something. And this is not the kind of eye-open Dzogchen type practice. This is a deliberate you know, investigation of emotion. So you can pick something that is like particularly loaded in your life. Some long-standing conflict, some unrequited love, some heavily requited love, you know, whatever it might be. Um, something that's got an emotional charge for you and that you want to understand. So that you bring your mind to as much singleness as you can, just using kind of an ordinary concentration object. Wait till you're kind of as calm and as steady as possible. Then deliberately arouse that uh, a memory of that person or that event or that prospect. Or and usually it just you just need a trigger. The whole program is there. Just to think, him. <laughs> or I used to do this with mother. <laughs> a guaranteed 15-minute run. You know. Before I could kind of the, the brakes would work, yeah. so you <laughs> so uh, my mother's a wonderful person. She's a, my mother is a saint, but she's she's uh, she was a major feature of my early meditative life. So. <laughs> so you know, all you need is a trigger, right? Generally, you don't need the whole story. The the, the memory banks will supply all the story you need. So then, like, you, you deliberately drop that in. So it's like dropping a seed crystal into a saturated solution. And then, the whole story emerges. You know, no, 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 he did this, and he did that. And what about this? No, oh, if only I could, and maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should do I should have given him more. And you just listen to the whole thing and operating. So now the, the, the trick is to get out of the story. Because... Because, like I was saying, that the driving force for emotion is not the words, it's the, the kind of um, primordial reactive area of the brain. Um, and the body you know, holds emotional memory. So it's a very kind of physical and, and kind of primordial uh, quality. So the story is kind of added on and keeps the, f- keeps the thing moving, but actually the story is not the problem. So it's like, once you've unleashed it, Right, then you deliberately leave the story alone and come in, into the body. And then wherever you're feeling that emotion in the body, whether it's a kind of tension in your throat or a tightness in your gut or sweat in your armpits or the heart pounding or the um, wherever it might be or however it manifests, just keep saying to yourself, I'm not interested in the story and I should have done this and I shouldn't have done that and if only I could. Just try to leave the voices kind of off in the distance and just keep coming right to the body and then just to um, to feel it completely like the feel okay this just and you can just use simple phrases like this is the feeling of fear this is what fear feels like this is what or righteous indignation feels like this is what intense desire feels like and no comment no judgment no, nothing. As keep it as unverbal as possible. 
just being with that experience. Okay, and then just let it run, let it do its thing. And then, and then after like five, ten minutes, just consciously let it go. Okay, say enough. Like you know, you, you've picked up the book. Okay, what's this story? Ooh. Okay, even if it's a really hot story. Okay, enough. And so you say enough, and you put it down. Now, if it's a really juicy story, it takes a while for the you know, the, <laughs> the pulse to even out. But you, you deliberately bring it to a close, bring your mind back to the same meditation object, the breath or whatever. You kind of bring it back to, to a kind of the same object that you started with. Just come back, let the body calm, and also using a lot of attention on the body, calming the body, letting the body straighten and being still. Till the body's calm, completely soft and relaxed. And the mind is back with the meditation object. And then just stay with that for like five, ten minutes. And then drop it in again. Just repeat the process. So what happens is that you watch a world come into being. You watch it come out of nothingness, do its thing with all its kind of full glory, and then fade away into nothingness. So it changes the whole modality of it. And then, because you, you just kind of repeat the process, you're, you're fully conscious of the emotion. You're not judging it. You're not doing anything with it. Saying, this is what it feels like. It has its place in nature. And then, as it's in the body, there's a, a wholehearted acceptance of it. You're making no judgment about it at all. It's just you're fully with it. And as you accept the feeling, you accept, to some degree, the source of the feeling. Right? The physical sensation of it is like the doorway back to the place where it's come from. Okay? It's like you, trigger, you, know, the, you use the verbal thought to trigger it, so you've kind of unleashed that from that place locked in your memory and your body. And then you're using the physical sensation, it manifests as a physical sensation, so you use that as like the, the tunnel, the, the, the hatchway down to where it came from. And as you've accepted the feeling, wholeheartedly and completely, you've accepted the place where it's come from. So you've accepted um, and found a place of harmony to some degree with where that emotional state has been generated from. So that you're, you're allowing it to, the, the karma that's, that's creating that turbulence or, or that sort of difficulty or or even this the you know the, the even if you're not registering it as difficult just that a place of of understanding how it works and where it comes from and what it is the, so that you're freeing the heart from confusion about it so that that as you run this you know and then when when you're out in the field and the when the bullets are real again then as that that kind of excitement or that rage or that um, fear kicks in then Oh, I know what this is. And rather than going to the object of you know that person who's making you frightened or irritated or whatever, then your attention goes to the body. Oh, this is the feeling of fear. Oh, it feels like this. And you know what to do with it. There's this, you can just accept the feeling, and then as the feeling is going, the emotion is fully there. But it's held within the space of awareness. Again, it's like the, it's embraced within that sphere of knowing. It's, within the, it's held within the heart. So that you're not creating the world of this other person out there. You're, you're holding them. You're holding the experience. You're knowing it within yourself.
And that quality of acceptance is like the essence of, of like right attitude, right view. Like, yeah, this is part of nature. It arises, it passes away. This is what it feels like. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just like this. And then if it's an emotional state that is um, something, got something useful and beneficial and, and wholesome about it, then you'll find that, that that holding with wisdom will help you to follow it in a skillful way. If it's something that's unwholesome or destructive or painful, then that presence of that wisdom will enable you to just like let that flow through so that if there's an angry impulse, then you'll find you just stay with that and, and let it flow through and you don't speak on it, act on it. Yeah. Um, not as I've heard it. I, I don't know what you're hearing, but... Uh Oh, it could be. Could be. Lama Paulden has a. Is that another question or an answer? Right, right. And so th this kind of thing that, that uh, I'm talking about is like very much a... Uh, <laughs> it's a kind of clearing the space. You know, if, that, if, if in your daily life that the mind is heavily preoccupied with those kind of concerns, with, you know, emotional issues and... and uh, those kind of um, uh, 
that area is sort of dominating your life or is, is something that, is, that you're finding very difficult to work with, you know, trying to bring Dzogchen principles to that, you know, like letting go of methodology is not, like Lama Paulden's saying, is not really appropriate. I mean, you actually have to get some serious methodology in place to get to the point where you can say, oh, anger is just anger. Aha, liberated. Because that might be a nice idea, but until you've really understood it and kind of internalized that what, you know, how to work with it, then it's, it's, it's a nice idea, but it just will frustrate you immensely. <laughs> you see what I mean? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, but the, the capacity to establish Rigpa is the main issue, right? <laughs> so that, so that um, even within, within the, this, this teaching, I mean, that, that's why, you know, the Dzogchen is not taught until someone is pretty, you know, heavily practiced, because it requires, you know, that you've got your sila and samadhi and panya and a, and a lot of of your ducks, you know, very very much in a row, a lot of ducks in, you know, in a very straight line, before it's, you know, before it's going to be applicable. So, um, I mean, she was asking about, you know, how do you apply, how do you carry these teachings into a a, a daily life situation? So that, and say in, in talking about that, it's like, okay, you've got to get, uh, to, to me, this is how I work with it, and how it seems reasonable to me, in order to make the sort of, the non-duality teachings realistic, you know, say for an emotional state, you, you can't just stick on your refrigerator a sign saying, all dharmas are empty, <laughs> and, and hope that's going to do it with you kind of raging at your, at your you know, the behavior of your teenage son, you know, like, oh, right, yeah, all dharmas are empty, like, you did what with the car? <laughs> you know. <laughs> the actual practice of remaining in but once you can get to that point, and it doesn't mean everything has to be clear to get there, that in itself will next time begin whatever it was to the car. The reaction is going to be a lot less, a lot more gentle, a lot less emotional. Sure. Sure. 
so is it getting simpler or more complicated? <laughs> no, I'm concerned. Hmm? Yes, and no. No, I just because I, you know, in the effort to try and sometimes in the effort to try and kind of unify things or, or kind of line things up, then we do make it more difficult. I mean, I find for myself it all matches quite quite happily. I, yeah, I tend to do both. You know, different things at different times. You know, that it's, it's, it's not... I, 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 don't, I don't find that... I mean, just like, you know, we, uh, Tashi and, and Rinpoche have been teaching various different... the establishment of, of uh, intentions, you know, pujas and things, so that, you know, even in, in um, the most sort of non-dualistic of formats, you know, you're, you're continuing to use... Um, other skillful means to kind of to hold it all together, so that it's at least my experience of it is like a, a cultivation of different tools. Just like in a kitchen, you don't just have chopping knives. You know, you have graters and you have peelers and you have you know a, a galaxy of different tools: stirring spoons and ladles. You know, trying to to taste the soup on a chopping knife. You know. It's kind of, it doesn't really work. So that it's using the different tools for the different jobs, and so that the, uh, it's the way that I tend to use it is that the, the Dzogchen practice, just like I was describing with the, um, attending to the deathless, I mean, that only becomes applicable when you know, the, the, the mind is at a, a really um, well-established level of, uh, of, uh, of stability and clarity. That, um, that there's a lot of very wholesome kind of dharmas already in place, and then that kind of cutting is going to be effective. That kind of, that kind of letting go is going to be meaningful. If, that, if there's too many sort of internal disturbances and you know, agitation and fear and craving, then you might try and apply that, but it's, just, it's, it's inappropriate because the basis for it is not there. Would you say that? <laughs> You're lost. How was it like that? And then it's like 
So this is also a very good method. And this could be actually this, if you want to realize and actually the, the blessing of the Rigpa, it means it could be paid for one week. Everything is so nice. Everything is so easy. Yeah. like a feel like you're talking about the knowing the body as we're in the mind. That it there's a way that it's helped me um, and I haven't left after all the things that I was learning in the process for all the years that I was practicing primarily that. But it even in the moment sometimes of an intense feeling, there there's some sense that the awareness um, that the knowing of awareness is arresting in itself, even a little bit, even though it's not like full clear rigpa, it it makes the situation a little more transparent, and that that becomes incredibly helpful sometimes, mm. even if it's just a moment, a flash of that in the middle of something mm -hmm. strong happening. It can it can that transparency can make way for for a flash of compassion to sure. arise in that moment. Spontaneous. So, sure. So I think it is. You know, it has been. Yeah, and That that's true, very much so. That the um, the more that we uh, recognize that basic ground, then the more that becomes our, if you like, a not exactly a reference point, but we, it makes it our decision making or our orientation comes more and more naturally from that point. Like that becomes the. Um, more obviously the context for experience. And so when you're faced with a choice like, oh, how do I handle this? Then that insight or the experience that has been there will inform the way that you handle that. So yeah, and that's really faith. I mean, faith is actually more like confidence in something which you intuit to be true rather than believing something.
Well, it's not incompatible. It's just um, where to to cultivate insight, you're drawing upon the reflective capacity of mind. So that um, if the mind is extremely one-pointed, it's like if you've narrowed the you know the the range of vision to a very very small spot, then because there's that that, that tiny little window that's there, it's like the other faculties are are kind of not available because it's like you you've narrowed your attention your energy to to one particular focus, the, the, so that um, there's a uh, a natural muting of the ability to employ reflective thought, conceptual thought. So that's why, um, because it's just a simple, it's, I mean, it's physics, really. It's just like, because, you know, the, the energy is concentrated in that one spot, then it's not other places. So that, you know, the, the, you're, you're not activating the, 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 the areas of your mind which would be able to um, discriminate and say, well, what about this, and what, look at that, and, uh, you know, what, is, you know, what does this mean? They're not, they, they have no, they've got no power source to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, as long as that, as long as that, the 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 reflective capacity of of mind is is free to function, then you can generate in, then insight can be cultivated. So if you're not in the if you're not in the refrigerator, like, <laughs> if you're not like so the thing that you're trying to avoid is something that you emotionless. Yeah, like like Rinpoche has been describing this kind of dull emptiness state where you're just sort of shutting down you're not only just shutting down the senses but you're also kind of um, uh, numbing the mind it feels like sort of like a yeah yeah so that you're trying to avoid that because it's peaceful because <laughs> nothing's going on but it's a it's what uh, Ajahn Chah used to call a water buffalo peacefulness Water buffaloes are really dense animals. So. Yeah, I was going to say the the um, the uh, again on the theme of Buddhist cosmology. Um, there's a, a special heavenly realm um, that is designated for for people who have put a great deal of uh, energy into meditation. Who've got very uh, very pure minds. And developed a lot of concentration, but they've used their concentration to shut out the sense world. And it's called the Asanya Sutta Brahma realm. Asanya Sutta. And in this realm, you get born with this kind of magnificent, huge, golden body, kind of genderless. They're not, Brahmas are not male or female. So huge, gigantic, golden, beautiful, beautiful body. And you live in this enormous, glorious, kind of palatial space. And the landscape is all kind of. Soft and luminous and and golden fragrant, and you live for thousands, tens of thousands of years, millions and millions of years, and the entire lifespan you're completely unconscious <laughs> <laughs> from the moment you're born till the moment the body dies, 
you're totally unconscious. So all the good karma you created with your meditation is you're not you're not able to kind of feed on any of it. <laughs> I told Rinpoche that story. He really liked that. <laughs> okay, I think that's plenty for the afternoon. Huh? So we could do the the sharing of merit in Tibetan. Sonam di tamche zigpani tobne nepen ranam pamje ne kekanachi balab trukbai sipet solen droan droa by this merit, may we obtain omniscience and having defeated the enemy's wrongdoings, may we liberate migrators from the ocean of existence with its stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness and death.